You're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. Welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. Welcome, folks, to All New Film Friday. Yeah, what's up, everybody? <laughs> this is a bit... Oh, man, I don't even uh, I don't even know where to begin with this one because it's a monster movie. It's some. It's got stuff in it we did not expect at all. Mm-hmm. It starts off as just kind of a disaster film, but quickly develops into much, much more. Yeah, disaster film with a very claustrophobic feel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like super, it almost feels like space-like to me in a lot of scenes. Very uh, much so. If you haven't uh, noticed already, we are talking about Underwater, uh, the 2020 film. And funnily enough, me and Andrew have been waiting to see this for quite a while. Like yep. We wanted to see it in theaters and then... Missed it. <laughs> we missed it. It was like here and there, like within like three days it was in town, it felt, it felt like. like. yeah. Anyways, and then we were looking and looking and looking on like demand and everything and couldn't find it anywhere. And I started to think that we had just imagined it. Didn't exist. Didn't exist, but it did exist. (laughs) And we finally tracked it down. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a 2020 film, but it actually was filmed back in 2017. And this is directed by William Eubank and stars some pretty familiar faces. We've got Kristen Stewart as the main role of Nora. We have uh, Vincent Castle playing Captain Lucian. Mm Mm-hmm. TJ Miller, what, what? Yeah, He's Paul, that. and he's got his little bunny friend, too, which I love in this film. Jessica Henwick as Emily. Jim Gallagher as Liam Smith. And then, oh, sorry if I mispronounced this, uh, Mamudu Athi as Rodrigo. Mm-hmm. Good old Rodrigo. So this was a really fun film. Not very, like, complicated, I guess you could say, as far as the plot no. and the synopsis. Like, IMBD, IMDB, sorry, I always get that. Me too. I always flip that around too. I always do that. IMDb. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so they kind of describe it as a crew of oceanic researchers. I would say deep sea researchers because they work for this deep sea drilling company that's trying to uh, basically get to safety after this mysterious earthquake that devastates their underwater research uh, station. They're they're basically drilling at the bottom of Mariana's Trench, which is quite crazy. That's the idea, yeah. We've covered Mariana's Trench before with the Meg, right? That was a fun one. Yeah. And essentially, yeah, we're taking the the film takes place between, I don't know, 6.5 to 6.8 miles down. Right. At various stations, uh, including we start at Kepler, we go to Midway, and then eventually the main one. But it's pretty cool. It's pretty uh, intense. Pretty. Uh, and it's 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 teed up as being like this sort of weird clandestine organization, almost in a way, because they're doing like research. It's a research facility, which is obviously super fascinating. Of course, if. If this was possible, there probably would be a base like this at the bottom of Mariana's Trench drilling and doing research. But it wasn't necessarily for like 
oil or mineral resources or anything. It was just like, they're looking for something, but nobody really knows. It's just like a general research facility. But then they have the opening credit sequence that reminded me of like Godzilla or King Kong, Mm. those types of films. All the newspaper headlines. The newspaper headlines, exactly. And it's like, what's really going on here? TN Corporation. Yeah, Of course, the classic corporation. I kind of did think that they maybe were resource-based. Maybe maybe that's the the overarching idea. But Mm -hmm. then they sort of, they sort of, uh, they give you these flashes of things where it's like, well, maybe it's something else. They're know? definitely like, covering something up. It's very similar. It harkens back to things like Alien, that yes. whole series where they have the same sort of like this evil corporation that has its own agenda that no one else is privy to. We get this kind of the same development here. Totally. Well, it's so funny you say like Alien and, and very much an alien world that they're in. One of the headlines that flashes across at the beginning is more dangerous than deep space. And it's this <laughs> whole idea that it's like, you know, it's eight tons per square inch of pressure that they're dealing with down in these facilities and stuff like that. Various other sort of key points flash across at the beginning that are really interesting, right? Like obviously it's, there was a deep sea explosion. Nobody knew exactly what caused it. Strange figures were seen, you know, uh, unexplored drilling zones and it shows the map like where Mm -hmm. it had never been touched before. So what are you going to find when you venture into these unexplored zones? And it gets right into it. Everyone listening knows that that's my jam. I don't want to wait around for (laughs) 20 minutes with boring character development and a bunch of monologuing and stuff like that it's so perfect because it you it starts with nora brushing her teeth and she looks in the sink and she sees a daddy long leg spider mm-hmm. they're however many miles down at that particular station shouldn't be there and it's just this perfect metaphor you know you're not supposed to be here and neither neither is she neither are they it's it's a it's an environment that you were never meant to be in mm-hmm. and then it gets right into it and I love how we kind of, you, you added this in here, sort of the first a- attack or earthquake. Like, what is it? We don't really know. Like, at first you just think it's an earthquake. Mm-hmm. And she comes out, she hears these thundering sort of murmurs, I guess, from outside that sound like that classic creaking metal, like something terrible is about to happen. Yeah. But you don't know if it's something it's like, banging on the outside exactly. or, or whatever. Right? It sounds like it, the whole structure is being stressed severely. Yes, exactly. And then, of course, it is. And there's an explosion and force of, you know, the water starts gushing in. And this is a pretty... Oh, man. I mean, uh, my heart was pumping. Yes. And this, again, like right off the bat, it reminded me of a lot of like submarine like footage, like, you know, even uh, the abyss, too, for another example there, or even the classic Titanic, right, where they're just like trying to get to the next bulk um, bulk hold or whatever they call those things, like the the bulk line. Just the next. Yeah. The next safe section to be in, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. (laughs) Let's go with that. <laughs> Clearly know what we're talking I'm, about. <laughs> obviously, only two of them make it out, though, right? Rodrigo and Nora are the only two that actually make it through. Yeah. But then this is interesting because once they kind of, like, crawl their way trying to get towards the pod bays, we get this idea, this speculation of what actually caused this when they come across some more survivors, right? They pick mm-hmm. up T.J. Miller. He's covered in rubble. They make their way through. They end up finding some others. So they're finally all together, and then they're just they're speculating as to what this is. Of course, they want it to be earthquakes, I guess. But then there's yeah. these sort of more thuds on the outside and they're starting to sort of realize that it's some potentially something else. Earthquakes are good because they're known and they're, you know what I mean? Like in that regard, you would yes. be able to sort of formulate some kind of plan. and At uh, least you would know what's going on. And evaluate sort of. the danger. Yeah, exactly. Right. At this point, they're in this all unknowing thing where they don't even have their captain at first, right? They end up finding him. Uh, in the, the he's like stuck in the room he looks like he's totally dejected when yeah. they see him i didn't even think he was going to help them at all i thought he was honestly going to like off himself and they were going to see it or it's something when they come into that, that room yeah. and all the pods are gone 
But this isn't, I mean, yeah, I, I totally thought that too. But mm-hmm. it, it doesn't end up being the first sort of quote-unquote fatality of the film, even though you get a mass amount of fatalities when Nora and Rodrigo yeah. run out of their section. Mm-hmm. But they get together and they decide to walk. I loved this in the trailer. It was so creepy, right? And they're like, Ugh. we walk. And it's like, you are seven miles underwater. And how? <laughs> this is where things start to really get weird because they start to, they're picking out the, the best helmets and getting into the suits and stuff. Mm-hmm. Literally, you guys, this is my worst nightmare. Like, this is my absolute worst nightmare. I'm super claustrophobic. I'm not afraid of water if I'm on the surface, but if I am underwater, like I was saying to Amber, like I would rather be stuck in space. I know it doesn't make any sense. It might not make sense to you people listening. Space but I is would so much way further rather, away. I would w- I don't know what it is about being underwater. I just would way rather be. Space is just as claustrophobic. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's the, it's the weight. It's the water. It's the rush of things that can come in, hmm. not just like being sucked out into space. I guess. I don't know what it is. It's yeah. just something about it. And there's less visibility that low down, you know what I mean? Versus like if you're in space, you can see across the galaxy seemingly, you know what I mean? But then yeah. at the same time, if you say you're doing a spacewalk or you're repairing something and then you accidentally get like, it's the classic, what is it from gravity where she ends up just floating and right. <laughs> floating away. <laughs> it's like, that would be scary. That at least scary. underwater. You know, you're on earth, you're terrestrial. Are you on earth though? Are they really? Well, it's a different world. <laughs> it's a different and world. Like you said, this is where the film really starts to get weird. Uh, when they're in the dive chamber, they're suiting up and Emily notices these murals that are painted all over the walls and there's multiples of them we get a close-up of one of these and they're all very similar they look very ancient very biblical subjects and this one in particular we get a close-up on depicts these i'm going to call them archangels they look like archangels there's two of them they're hoisting up a diver that's like fully suited and in a very similar suit to what they're about to put on a vintage version a vintage version yeah exactly and he's being pulled up out of the water towards the heavens. And you get this very intriguing, like, duality between the below the surface of the water and then the above. <laughs> very much like a heaven and hell kind of thing because kind there's of. these monstrous, like, merman-like creatures that are grappling with the diver as well and trying to grab him and bring him back into the depths. Yeah. And Emily sees this and she's, like, completely weirded out by this, right? No one's done this before. She makes the point of asking, like, has anyone even been out there besides, like, going to repair something? Right. And this is completely unprecedented. So they're doing something that no one's done. And it's a lot of creepy foreshadowing. Like, that mural in particular really sets the tone. What did you think of these murals, though? Because even in the background, if you pause the film, you can see that there's more monstrous sea creatures and humanoid figures. Some of them have tails, some of them have tendrils. Yeah. They're all very monstrous, though. They have these really creepy faces, almost like skull-like faces, like images of death is kind of what it looks like. Yeah, no, I wish we could get... Like, we tried to pause it and look. <laughs> it's kind of hard to tell. I guess the... Like, man, yeah, it's so weird because my question, seeing those and having Emily walk up and stare at them and be just, like, just mortified by what she's looking at. It's like, who painted these? I mean, were the, was this the, you know, the people working at this level that just had some spare time and were artistic and were like, you know what, let's make a really creepy Sistine Chapel around this entire dive area? Mm-hmm. Or... Was this like discovered and recreated or was this painted because they're sort of subconsciously starting to take in an energy and a power that is being released beneath them? Mm -hmm. Almost like a brainwashing, so to speak, or like a just, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're going to get into that because there's a whole lot of Cthulhu-esque godlike 
monstrous imagery in this film. And the thing we have to remember too, Nora makes the point of saying, this is one of her very first lines, like underwater, when you're underwater for months at a time, you lose all concept of night and day. You have waking and you have dreaming and it's hard to tell the difference between the two. So you would imagine that perhaps as the months drag on, especially the people that are in these dive chambers, right, that are suiting up and potentially going out there. Yeah. They would be the ones that have the most exposure and the most vulnerability and would probably, yeah, you would imagine maybe there is some sort of like Cthulhu-esque, like dream-like inception type thing. And this is where the headlines come back because it's like there was weird stuff happening and they just don't, they they, they tuck it under the rug, right? Exactly. And we see the same thing in Captain Lucian's locker, which we'll get to in just a second here. Before we do though, huh, first death. Yes. (laughs) Let's get into it. Gruesome. So good. So Rodrigo is the first to go, unfortunately. Possibly this is the most violent way. To be honest, though, it might have been the most explosive, like pun intended. <laughs> yeah. But it's probably the best way to go. It's, it's the instantaneous. Most, it's the most graphic in the, in the movie, I would say. Even so, though, we see little bits of floating blood and bits, but we don't really see too much as far as body parts. It's more implied. It is. But it is red. Yeah. A lot of red. It is a lot of red. And I'm amazed that... Like the force of his exploding suit or imploding suit, I should say, didn't actually damage any of the other suits. Lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the first thing you said sitting on the couch. You're like, because there's this big concussion that goes out of the door. It's like they, a pulse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The weird part, or not weird, but it's kind of, they foreshadow this, right? Rodrigo, he is the one that's given the task of handing out the helmets. Picking the good ones. Picking the good ones. And there's this one scene where uh, the camera's below him looking up at his face as he's examining one of these helmets. And it kind of like, you know, it does the classic like flicker of the light, which you pointed out right away. And it's like almost like a Final Destination like scene. Very much so. Yeah, it's it's a lot of foreshadowing there. I like this because, yeah, it is an omen of sorts. It's almost like the extinguishing of the light or the life, you know, like and all that. Totally. Yeah. But anyways, what'd you make of that? So he basically, could you just imagine being in that moment where you see the cracks start to form and they're trying to get the door open and it's jammed and he keeps pushing the button and then the guy's like, don't open the door. And then it's too late. Yeah. Could you just imagine that? I can't imagine really any of these situations. Like I said, like this is all my worst nightmare. I mean, but at the same time, yeah, I think we both said to each other too, it's like that would be probably the quickest way to go in this film rather than being like yanked out of your suit uh like tj mm-hmm. miller does not torn apart a nice end yeah but what would be i mean yeah the anticipation of going down in that elevator just to wait and see if your helmet is even going to work would be oh would just be absolutely mortifying and then yeah. you have the task of actually walking out onto the seafloor in pitch black Eesh. at seven miles with potentially monstrous creatures mm-hmm. hunting you down literally nightmare i can't even i can't say that enough uh i feel like out of any character in this film you most closely resemble emily and because she even says right she's like i can't do this i can't do this as soon as like there's the moment comes where it's almost like yeah getting on the roller coaster like the guy says he's like what's the worst part it's waiting in line yeah so let's just do it and then i loved it as soon as the explosion happens or implosion and the doors are released and you just see like Kristen Stewart's face. She makes a lot of funny faces and a lot of them look constipated, but I'll forgive her for this movie because she did a pretty good role or good job, I think. But 
her the expression on her face as she's walking out into the darkness like she that was pretty convincing to me Mm -hmm. so of course i mean after this happens there they they do make it to like the elevator that's going to take them down to the next level Mm -hmm. just before we like move on to the next sort of scene here i thought it was interesting this is pretty early on in the movie and I just want to touch on a few things, I guess. We've already mentioned The Abyss. We've already mentioned Alien as definite inspiration, seemingly, for Mm -hmm. the visuals in the film. As well as some of the characters, like Nora's character. Yeah. I was instantly reminded of a call, the android call from the Alien series, that Aliens, that movie in particular. Uh, Just because of her hair, kind of like her techie abilities. Like she's proven, like, basically from the first scene on, right, where she fixes the jammed computer and saves both her and Rodrigo and then again when they see the captain and he's stuck in the room she's the one that's able to get him out so she has these abilities coupled with her kind of shy personality I feel like definitely is inspired by that oh absolutely and just like staying calm and uh, yeah I feel like she modeled that character off of call for sure and the whole movie in general has that vibe of I'm trying to remember the exact one I can't remember which alien it was, but the one with the dude who plays Hellboy, uh, where they're going through all the shafts and stuff. It's like very similar kind of aesthetic of the ship. Alien Resurrection. I think think. that was the one. I think so. So yeah, no, you're you're on point with that for sure. Or was it Aliens? And then Alien Resurrection is when, because in that movie, uh, what's her name? The main character. Sigourney Weaver. Yeah, Sigourney Weaver's character at the end of the second one, that's when she gets incinerated. So then I think Resurrection is the third one, which it, might have Call in it now that I'm thinking about it. Ugh, I think you're right. Oh, man, there's so many alien movies. We should just cover the full series on here. We should. I'm sure we've got some hardcore alien fans out there. So hit us up, send us a message, and then correct us on some of these uh, this trivia for the alien series. But this is where, honestly, things... I mean, it just starts... It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse for this group because they end up walking out. They do finally reach essentially like a transport elevator to take them down to the next level, but then they start getting that beacon from one of the pods that didn't make it up. Yeah. So creepy because you don't know if anyone's still alive. Captain Lucian, like, makes the comment, like, you know, you wouldn't last for very long at this depth, but they're going to go try to rescue someone anyway, and this is where we get the first creature. Mm -hmm. So... And I spilt my beer when this happened. Because I should have seen it come and it was like the most planted, obvious thing. Something's going to burst out of this corpse in the pod. And I didn't, uh, I wasn't prepared for it. And I spilt beer all over my pants and a little bit on the wall as well. And actually, we haven't cleaned it up yet. I should probably do that today. Yeah, probably. But what did you make of this creature? Because they're freaked out. They can't see anything. They end up bringing it back on. And it's very reminiscent of alien Mm, yeah it was kind of like one of those baby xenomorph xenomorph things kind of crossed with like a uh like a a cephalopod kind of like a squid like thing it looks that way and it had like we paused the movie just to get a little bit more of a visual so it has a few features right like those claws those hooked fang claws things on its uh tendrils and then it also had like these weird shrunken eyes almost like it didn't have eyes like they hadn't developed yet it kind of looked like a anus (laughs) the eyes because they're all like wrinkled and they're like you know what i mean sorry guys human anatomy lesson right here (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) but it kind of did no it definitely did Or it looked like a cat butt there you go cat butt xenomorph cat butt (laughs) i I think that's an interesting point though too like the idea of like a of a xenomorph this like a cephalopod type weirdness because it definitely looks that way but then the larger versions are distinctly humanoid so we we'll get into that in a bit they are. They've got five digit, like they've got five fingers at the end of their arms, which are like, they've got the same general 
appearance as a as essentially a human would. Okay, so this is where we can introduce a point of debate here because I think that there's more than one creature. I think that there's like a squid-like creature and then there's also these weird humanoid-like things because you see a very distinct huge squid thing that in one point of the film and then you also see it banging on the roof of the like transport thing okay. and then after that you see the upper portion torso and head of one of the humanoids so i'm like i was kind of confused is like is it the same thing or is it multiple creatures in, living in this uh unknown environment i never took it as that as there was that they're dealing with uh, essentially various different species of monster down here i essentially just took it as a Ooh. different stage of the evolution like we don't know and and the reason i made the call yeah. like the reason i thought it was interesting is like the idea that you start off looking like a cephalopod and you end up looking more like the giant monster that we get in the end, which is sort of an amalgamation of both. But I do get what you're mm. talking about because there was almost like a giant octopus-like thing that well, they see. Like a giant squid thing. But that never really comes into play again later. It was That would have that would seem mm-hmm. random to me. It's like, oh, here's another random. It's kind of like an octopus. It's also a monster. But really, you should just be worried about these uh, swimming humanoid guys because they really want to mess with you. But there's also some other stuff too, just mm. in case. I guess so. I don't know though. Let us know what I'm, you guys think. Yeah, exactly. Let us know what you think. Do you think these things, because we see a lot of these, like, I guess if you want to call them like midpoint humanoid swimmer type things, do these all develop into these monstrosities, the big ones? That's one of like the questions at the end. At the end here. Okay. Anyways, we'll get into it. We'll, we'll get to it. And <laughs> I wanted to come back to the Meg, the Megalodon here, because right. it touches on a lot of similar themes that that film does. And if you guys haven't, go check out our film Friday on the Meg. But Liam Smith, one of the characters here, played by John Gallagher, once they have a moment again to kind of like theorize what's going on with them, they mention sort of similar things, the idea of like thermal vents, or maybe they've, uh, with their drilling, caused an earthquake that's bridged a gap between mm-hmm. two ecosystems that were completely separated. They make those sort of Yeah, like that idea that they're so far down that there's some sort of layer of life that they've tapped into. Right. So unlike the Meg where it's like this thermal layer or it's like a hydrothermal pocket, they kind of theorize that Tian Corporation is drilled into. Right. So this is almost more like hollow earth rather than like a thermal Mm -hmm. layer at the bottom of the trench. Yeah. This is a little bit more... Yeah, like dabbling in a hollow earth theory, basically, totally. where you're drilling into something where things were living and mm-hmm. now they've come out. Yeah. Yes. Ooh, except it's not so hollow because it's filled with water. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so we're getting into the next attack. And like I already alluded to, there's this like a weird squid like thing that starts smashing on the top of the, the transport vehicle. And then we see from above the Kepler station exploding. And right. so this is obviously pretty, pretty bad for everyone as well. In, in the glow of the explosion, you do get, like I said, the upper portion of one of these humanoid creatures. The and, then it, and then are, it quickly swims away. The silhouettes are so scary. They are really freaky, man. And the eyes, the eyes are the worst part. It's like <sighs> yeah. when you see just the two dots glowing, it very much reminds me of a lot of hunting videos and like sasquatch videos and oh, yeah. you know what i mean like where you just see the eyes that's it and it's just darkness and just it's something so freaky. watching you something watching and exactly because that's what they seem to be doing yeah so basically the team needs to keep moving they're well they are moving they're falling to the bottom we get this very like similar sequence to one of the scenes in the abyss where it's all this i don't know i guess debris falling on them yeah 
from the Kepler station that's exploding above. And then they make their way to the Midway station. So (laughs) unfortunately, this is where we get the death of TJ Miller, which was really sad because he is definitely the comic relief of this movie. Yeah. Every single line. It's hilarious. Yeah, no, I got some good laughs. Out of yeah, it yeah, I know. Sure. No, he was good. Even the one moment where uh, <laughs> they have to go when the, when this was earlier in the movie, when they uh, hear the, the call, like the bang from the little pod and they have to go on the rescue mission. And yeah. he's just like, all right, Emily, this is your moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just messing with you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. But yeah, unfortunately, he gets ripped out of his suit. That's an interesting idea, too, because it's like, how did the thing get in? Because this is like a pressure, they were in a pressurized tunnel that had True. been slowly filling with water. So, oh, that's a good point. It, it, these things have a certain intelligence to them. They're not just sort of flying around violently. Like a lot of the articles I was looking at, it was like, a, you know, on screen rant or, or whoever, you know, kind of just, you know, claiming it's a classic monster movie. These things are just sort of these, these homicidal deep sea psychopaths without really any intelligence to them per se. Like they're Mm. smart, they're hunters, they're gonna, they're animals, but they're not, like it clearly knew how to get in. It knew how to get in. It does seem to be the case that they're being followed the entire time. Yes, definitely. Yeah, very single-minded though. Like some descriptions are like, it is again, very akin to the xenomorph things in Alien, where it's like they're single-minded. They don't seem to have like, you know, any other additional properties other than being like crazy predators. But I like this part here because once they actually, you know, TJ dies, they get out, they have to go to another point and their access point. So they're walking again outside. <laughs> and this is where we see one of the like first like fuller images of one of these things. The behavior was interesting to me because what we get is so Kristen Stewart's leading the way. We have the one guy that's been injured because his oxygen was messed up or whatever. His rebreather filter stopped working. Exactly she's flashing her light and this is where we get like i said like almost like the deer eyes in the darkness kind of thing where she doesn't even really notice it i don't think because it's very quick and flashes over and then she focuses her beam somewhere else well we had to rewind i was like what's that and we had to like go back exactly oh yeah someone's watching them (laughs) so spooky but they are just watching so they're not just outright attacking so maybe that contradicts the point i just made about them being single-minded predators but well, unless they're I, yeah, unless they're waiting, the yeah. unless they've set a trap for them, I guess. who knows? Because it seems to be the case that I'm kind of like leaning towards like the idea that these are creatures are not monsters per se, but maybe perhaps they're being provoked because of the fact that these people maybe are entering their nest. They're getting closer to their, you know, their home. I like that term. Like it's a nest. We kind of get a little bit of that idea closer Mm -hmm. to the end of the movie. We'll talk about it in a minute. Oh, gross. Why don't we, we, do you want to talk about the actual swimmers? Sure. We we, we put it in here as humanoid swimmers. I'm reminded of Lake Baikal. Yeah, actually. Yeah, true. So the swimmers, they're these weirdly translucent, elongated human appendages with like amoebas like slime all over them and these dark eyes like I've already alluded to already. They're like wispy though, hey? They are. They're weird. They're like jellyfish, kind of. Yeah, they're like they're, if a yeah a human and a jellyfish crossed, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you make of them? Definitely freaky. It's it's a mix, perfectly in my mind. For those of you familiar with the story of the Lake Baikal nine foot humanoid swimmers and uh, uh, the the Ningen or the Ninjin, which mm-hmm. we'll mention in a little bit here. So it's yeah. a, a, a cryptid in Japanese legend and lore that has been seen by other uh, fishing vessels and stuff as well in uh, the Antarctic. So 
they they hit the mark for me. I was a, I I mm-hmm. found them to be terrifying. The yeah. humanoid appearance is what is most fascinating to me. We just covered we just covered mermaids. We talked mm-hmm. about this. Yeah. Obviously, this is deep sea. This isn't like you know swimming at the surface, spotted by Christopher Columbus type creature. <laughs> We're mixing the two, hollow earth with different cryptozoology mm-hmm. in this sort of film, which I love. Yes, in different forms of monstrosity. And yeah, this is the weirdest part for me is when they end up walking into the lair of them when they're all like seemingly hibernating or sleeping. And it's like they they look like ghosts, like just wafting in the water, like floating. You know what I mean? It's really they're freaky. They're in a trance. Almost. They're in a trance. Like they're waiting to be awoken. But it's almost like a trap seemingly. Like, you know, jellyfish in a herd where it's like you touch one and you get electric, then you're just trapped, right? Yeah. Like it's a whole amoebus web of these things. Right. How do you get out of it? And then at the one point when they're walking really, really quietly and then all of a sudden the oxygen alert goes off. <laughs> <laughs> perfect time <No. laughs> just no i oh my god when the hand grabs her helmet let me just say that was probably the most epic scene when she gets swallowed alive by one of them and ends up blowing herself out of it by using the uh what was it like the underwater um like a flare gun of yeah some kind, flare right? gun of, yeah of sorts that was interesting too because it kind of like obviously it's a pretty powerful flare gun that's still operating at uh, underwater at seven miles down somehow but it went through pretty easy. So it's like these creatures are, they're clearly strong and gnarly. Like they're, you know, they're dragging Captain Lucian to his death, like really violently. And they're really quick and powerful. But at the same time, their construction almost seems very much, like you said, like a jellyfish. Like Mm -hmm. they're very, it's a mix of bone structure, skeletal structure, what it kind of looks like. And then their Mm -hmm. actual skin itself is like very like jelly-like, like like, she shot through that like butter. Mm-hmm. It's not like you were hacking your way through a monster. You and then she just mean? rips her way out. Yeah. yeah. Oof. That was probably the coolest scene of the whole movie to You me. liked that, eh? I just thought it would, like, visually, when you get the helmet being, like, engulfed, and you see just, like, the, the mouth alone, man, like... We're, we actually had a special little quote from Adam Benedict over at the Pine Barrens Institute, and he gets into some of the specifics as far as he what he considers inspiration. And one of these creatures that he mentions, which we'll get into in just a sec here, is like, it's, it's, it's definitely on par for me as far as the mouth feature of these creatures in the film. Absolutely. Before we get into that, though, let's get into the Ningen or the Ninjin. You I've know, heard how, it pronounced both ways. I've heard it pronounced both ways, too. It's I mean, it's spelled N-I-N-G-E-N, uh, Japanese... Mm-hmm monster essentially yeah let's talk about it a little bit because they're very similar they are similar in some ways how big do you think these creatures were in the film though like they appeared to me to be again very much like the reports from like by cal kind of like 10 10 foot maybe a little bit bigger like they were clearly double the size of a of 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 the person yeah Uh, yeah so so roughly between like 12 and 10, 10 12 feet sure so these Japanese ningens or ninjins, I like ninjin better. Let's just go like, with that. It sounds like a ninja. Let's just go with that. All right. <laughs> and these are about 20 to 30 feet, but they are humanoid and they do have reportedly a white body or a translucent body. Right. These are creatures that have been observed in cold Antarctic waters, specifically Antarctic. So we're talking Southern Hemisphere. And a lot of... These reports come from whale research expeditions, mostly done by the Japanese. Yes. And eyewitnesses describe them as having a human-like shape, legs, arms, 
seven or sorry five fingered hands <laughs> seven fingered hands <laughs> oh, well, I mean, still. human enough <laughs> sometimes they have fins actually or a large mermaid like tail interesting or even tentacles so again that kind of brings me back to the film right could these this was my question here i was thinking like well could these be beluga whales come on man like these white you see some of the pictures if you google it they come up quite easily and you're like this could be potentially a beluga but belugas don't exist in the antarctic they're just in the northern hemisphere supposedly so unless there is some kind of unknown type of beluga-esque species or just another white species of some sort Mm -hmm. of aquatic mammal or whatever yeah, because we did look into this and it didn't really seem, out of all of the Antarctic mammals that exist in the waters, they generally aren't white. They wouldn't look like that. Unless there's albino versions of these species, perhaps? Yeah. yeah. The few videos we did watch on that creature, though, reminded me of the the uh, the eye scene that we were just talking about with Nora flashing the flashlight, getting the two little dots, doesn't really even notice it. Mm-hmm. There's a video of uh, reportedly a, a, a deceased one of these creatures mm-hmm. where... You know, it's probably not, obviously. It it doesn't seem to be. Mm -hmm. But it does look very much like that. The sort of round humanoid head shape, very small dotted eyes that would be glowing when light shines on it. Mm Mm-hmm. Very curious. Very, yeah. Let's get to the uh, the comments from Adam because we ended up chatting with him a little bit on Twitter about this this film and it was pretty serendipitous. We watched it and then literally the next day he was tweeting about how checked out this movie and, and it, it was a great monster movie. So this is a uh, what he had to say about the film. The movie, reminiscent of such sci-fi classics as Alien and The Abyss, combines modern aquatic terror with H.P. Lovecraft's classic cosmic creature horror and creeping dread. The movie, which presents itself as a straightforward disaster film within the first 10 minutes, slowly begins to let on that there's much more going on than the characters realize. Quick glimpses of what appear to be monsters begin to appear in the background as well make their presence known by terrible sounds in the surrounding water, like Amber mentioned Mm -hmm. right off the top. After a bit of time, though, we are treated to the full creature in its amazing detail, which we (laughs) haven't quite got to yet. Appearing to, be a bl- appearing to be a blend of lamprey and cephalopod, these aquatic humanoids stand out as some of the best on-screen sea monsters to date. And when they start to prove themselves as horrifying, a horrifying threat to the group of characters, they show that they are just a small part of a much larger terror. <laughs> Not wanting to give anything away, although we hope you guys have watched this, mm-hmm. uh, which would spoil the movie's third act, I will say that what is presented to the audience will please both fans of aquatic horror films and classic horror novels. Also, this is key, everybody. While watching the movie, pay close attention to the opening credits as well as the end credits, as these both help expand the overall story. And finally, there is a bit of an Easter egg really good uh, get a really good look inside the <laughs> captain's locker when the camera shows what's uh, taped up on the wall if you're a fan of a certain author's work you will instantly recognize the object i am referencing and that is the quote from adam so adam thank you so much for sharing yeah. that he hits on some really key points and i want to dive into the lamprey oh, cephalopod thing because we looked these things up and they are bizarre Yes, this this is very bizarre. So if you've never looked up a sea lamprey or just a lamprey, do it. <laughs> you won't be yeah. disappointed. Actually, you will be terrified. And if you're not, there's something wrong with you. Because <laughs> these things are absolutely disgusting. They look like a male body part. It looks like a penis with teeth. With teeth. It's like the antithesis of the film teeth, right? Where we get the <laughs> the, the, uh, the monstrous vagina. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Sorry, guys. We're getting uh, anatomical today. I'm like looking at this thing right now and it's just, it's 
It's horrifying. And these things actually have made their way into fresh water. So you can find them in the Great Lakes, among other... They're, they're an invasive species. They essentially attach themselves much like a succubus and just destroy any and all fish that they come across. Yeah. They can eat... What did that one guy say? I think they said about 40 to 50 pounds of fish in... In like a few months it, or yeah, something. Yeah, in the high was, season. Yeah, mm-hmm. It was insane. So they're very destructive. And I thought this was great. Yeah, like a lamprey crossed with a cephalopod, crossed with the monster's human as well, I guess, if you want to go with that. Yeah, I really liked that, though. His, Especially the end here, where he talks about the opening credits and the end credits, because you get a lot of the developments before and after for sure and then as well yeah the captain's locker we should get into that hey yeah okay because this this brought up so many questions for me because it's really strange it's this idea that lucien knew more um kind of the same idea as what we were talking about with the murals oh or was he dreaming or exactly and blending it who knows because awake and asleep are so hard to it's hard to perceive what's what Mm -hmm. but of course nora is the only one at this point. The other two, there's still two alive, but they're not in the base with her. Uh, I can't remember which point this was called, but she finds Captain Lucian's old locker. It's it's in the old abandoned, was it called the Shepherd? It was the old station that the was abandoned. The original station mm-hmm. or whatever. So it's got his old photo ID card and stuff like that. She realizes that the reason he said his daughter's 14 is because she passed away when she was 14 and hadn't yeah. told anyone and things like that. Totally. You can see instantly there is that like sort of quasi- daughter father connection between the two there's of them. that the entire film mm-hmm. for sure but of course she sees some super bizarre stuff in there if you're not paying attention you'll miss it because oh, it's super the classic fast. uh it's a classic like charlie kelly from it's always sunny with all the red lines <laughs> trying to figure out what's going on right like the classic crazy person drawing red lines over a map yeah. but when you pause it and look closely there's a sitting figure of essentially a cthulhu a humanoid cephalopod monster yeah and this is very bizarre because it sort of implies that Captain Lucian either A, knew about all of this and those reports we see flashing across the screen at the beginning of the movie are like people are still down there and remember. They mm-hmm. didn't get rid of people who encountered these things the first time or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he knows about this and just hadn't told anyone. Or it's subconscious. Like this is like he's slowly, like we said, awake, dreaming, can't really tell the difference. You're yeah. seeing things, you're hearing things, you're encountering things and you can't make sense of it so he's got these references Mm -hmm. but it's almost like it's just pushed to the back of his mind it's like this subconscious looming godlike threat oh yeah that nobody can really understand yeah and they i like how you say yeah the charlie kelly-esque like you know like red lines connecting to this one central point right which was the proposed uh, station right and it kind of makes me wonder this is literally just popped in my head right now the uh, like why was that station abandoned where all of his old stuff was and why is his stuff still in there is the weird part to me because that was an abandoned station supposedly yeah, it's like that area they realized was dangerous and they never went back yeah or something exactly you know? mm-hmm. so it goes much deeper than tian wants you to think very much so <laughs> so i've got a whole bunch of questions here i kind of want to throw them out to you okay do you want to just get into some of the the nitty-gritty of this we've, we've already kind of talked about this a little bit but i just want to go through each one the symbolism in the dive chamber it's both biblical and mythological Right. So the mm-hmm. question is, who knew about this? Was this discovered? Like I'm picturing it'd be so cool if they're going down seven miles and they end up finding like ruins preserved somehow. And these mm-hmm. are like copied murals off of things that they had seen. Mm-hmm. Maybe a civilization that is no longer there because of interaction with this 
monster that they mm. end up finding at the end. What do you think of that? Like who drew these? Who yeah, is it is it just a talented like similar to like how in like you know World War 2 and all that like the plane art and things like that where mm-hmm. it's like you're bored. You have, you don't have a lot to do and you're underwater for months at a time. So what are you going to do? You're going to come up with creative mur- murals. I guess. It's almost like a William Blake-esque like you know like kind of red dragony like the the style of the murals themselves and and the subjects too like you know like these uh divine like characters mixed with these monstrosities and yeah i have no answer to that the only thing that i will add to that is the possibility at one point when they're doing a walk this is after tj miller is killed and this is the first encounter where they have a violent encounter with one of these humanoid things but at first it's just watching them right makes a few passes as if it's trying to scare them away from something and then yeah. and then it gets a little more violent. And what we see is Kristen Stewart slash Nora's character um, running towards what she thought she saw, which almost looks like either rubble or some sort of ancient structure that's man-made. What did you make of that? Oh, yeah, that's right. That weird little... There's a few instances like that, like where Liam gets... Or- yeah, Liam. Liam gets dragged into like a tunnel when they first mm-hmm. walk out. Is that what you're talking about? Or is there another structure as well? Because there's a few. Like I was, I thought of that in the first scene when they walk out. Liam gets pulled down and dragged into a tunnel and Captain Lucian goes after him and pulls him back out. And that yeah. to me looks like a very man-made, like, mm-hmm. uh, like a partially buried... Like a temple uh, or something. Yeah, or, or like a tunnel, like a walkway, like an archway yeah. or something. It looks distinct. It reminds me of the Yanaguni Monument. It looks distinctly man-made. Yeah, exactly. And you're not sure if this is just rubble from the, you know, the violence that's been occurring down right. there or if this is something more ancient. We don't see anything as far as like, you know, like cave drawings on them. So you can't really, this is all speculation at this point, but so, I just well, want to add that. Well, going building off of that idea here too, because I, I had this a little further down, this idea that, okay, remnants of an ancient civilization possibly, does that mean the swimmers themselves are the former inhabitants of said ancient civilization, possibly from a prehistory, like before the revolution, before the dinosaurs 65 million years ago. We've, we've kind of talked about this. Yeah, they just kind of evolved along a different line. Almost like I'm air quoting, like the idea of Atlanteans. They've evolved mm-hmm. along a different line. They've disappeared. They've vanished. It's before we evolved to be what we are. Yeah, I like that. It's almost like in uh, <laughs> uh, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea with the amphibians episode, yeah. where they're like in these like i don't even know how far down they're supposed to be in that episode of voyage but they basically are that they've evolved to be these strange amphibian-esque humans exactly that exist in their own society have their own laws have their own history and ultimately kind of want to take over the surface people as they call them yeah you do have to bring into question or bring into the conversation i should say the very end right when they are basically beckoned by the big one right the massive one into following the pods up they don't want anyone to escape. So why is that? Is it to preserve their sanctuary down below? Is it to, mm, I don't know, for other purposes? Just to what finish do you think? what they had started. I mean, yeah, it, it seems like the first option, like trying to keep hidden. I, that was kind of the third question. You're, you're really teeing these up well for me here because this idea, <laughs> like they're seven miles down. We mentioned this sort of hollow earth idea that potentially their ecosystem had been invaded like are mm-hmm. yeah are they just being territorial it reminds me very much of like the the latest godzilla 2019 yeah. where he is swims into this underground layer mm-hmm. that's essentially kind of like a like an undersea lagoon essentially so there's mm-hmm. there's methane like he comes up into a, a dry land atmosphere but it's beneath 
the sea, the yep. ocean. Yeah. I'm picturing something along those lines with this. Exactly. And, and, um, yeah. So they if they went further. That, potentially, right? And there is a pr- sequel proposed. It might not happen though, but it, it might dive into something along those lines. Unintended. I hope it does. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. Because of course in the Godzilla film, it's not just his lair like a cave. It's an ancient pre-human civilization. There's structures. He was the god. He There's, was running yeah, that exactly. world wherever it was. So then it, let's, I have a question for you then. Let me flip this. So do you think that the big one is their deity? Do it you think? almost seems that way. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, yeah. because yeah, because you make the, yeah, is he their deity or is he their parent? Their leader. Like, or, or is he laying eggs and giving birth to these things? Do they have like, a hive it, mentality where they, because they seem to, right? He gives the order and like soldiers, they all rise up off of him. And they all exist on him as if it's like this synonymous uh, being, like, you know, like a symbiotic relationship between right. a parasite and the, Which impl- well, not a parasite, but you know what I mean. But impl- implies, that, like, you're right, implies that they're different species, that these things would be worshiping this giant god mm-hmm. rather than it being like, because I asked you that, I was like, uh, do each one of these swimmers over millions of years grow up to be that? Like, are these the offspring I don't think of this that's thing? sustainable. <laughs> well, I mean, millions upon millions of years, though. Like, Perhaps. Right? Like if, it could be the same way as, like, a royal lineage where there is a specific subsector that will become that, but all the rest of them are the servants of I guess if we, yeah, thing. I guess if we, if we, if we're to believe that they aren't the same species, it's this sort of godlike and symbiotic whatever, then the idea of the other cephalopod creature you mentioned earlier makes sense. They've all come out of this, cr- this crevice in the, yeah. in the earth that uh, Tian Industries or whatever it's called is created. Yeah. They didn't really emphasize that point though. And they could have definitely by coming up with all sorts of crazy underwater random things, which they didn't. They wanted to focus, I think, which yeah. I can appreciate that. And I, just for visually, like the art, artists working on the project, you would imagine yeah. that's a lot of work. <laughs> totally. Man, super bizarre. I mm-hmm. mean, just to to throw it out there to kind of finish it off, even if it's like, because we've talked about this balancing act of like looking kind of humanoid, cephalopod, whatever. Just straight up cephalopods are some of the most intelligent creatures on earth. Yep. They've evolved differently than us Mm -hmm. but they are so similar in a lot of ways the way they think the way they the way they they're highly intelligent creatures what am i thinking of it is a cephalopod and it's like one of them oh it i wish we had shay on the show right now (laughs) it's it's that one that looks it has like almost like cuttlefish cuttlefish yeah yeah yeah, totally can change color as well it uses clicking to communicate and we didn't mention this but in the very first instance where they try and rescue the, the supposed survivor from the pod they make the comment the two people walking they say we can hear clicking and like no chirp. one it's a like chirp. A, yeah chirping that's it yeah right. they use chirps and that is i i'm pretty sure that's that's proven that's known oh yeah for sure if i know it then it must be known and the other sort of <laughs> irony of all that and this doesn't tie in but like they have beaks Right, like I'm, right. you think chirp, bird, squids, and oct- oct- octopi, mm-hmm. and these things—they have beaks, which is weird. To <laughs> now think. I'm thinking of octopus pie. <laughs> octopus pie, baby. <laughs> Last but not least, I just wanted to chuck this out there as another kind of Easter egg, and I I couldn't get a clear image of it, like pausing. But apparently, the tattoo on T.J. Miller's chest was also a, like a Cthulhu-esque looking creature. Oh, and it kind of looks that way. Like I, huh. I pause it a few times. I'm like, yeah, that looks definitely weird. So there's a whole bunch of uh, symbolism throughout this. That's almost like the people yeah. involved that don't know should have known. But they, they do have knowledge, but it's maybe not accessed in their conscious state. Yeah, it's something more primordial. Or is there something drawing them all to the spot? Something beyond them just being there? You know what I mean? Maybe. 
why would you take a job like that? It has a very, I will say this, the film itself does a good job, similar to Alien in the sense that it's kind of like, I don't want to say like blue collar, but it's very industrial vibes going on. And it's like, yeah. we're just here to do our jobs. We're not, we're not experts. We're not scientists per se. Like there's the one Emily who's a research assistant. But other than that, they're all very just like technical. Yeah. Like they're just employees. And I love when the first accident happens and she's like struggling to like find other survivors, I think. And this is like, if you have a complaint, please feel free to share it with your immediate supervisor. And it's just yeah. this like, yeah, the ongoing reel of just some stupid, just an automated thing. Classic. Uh, yeah. Well, you guys, we really want to know what you think about this film because we had so much fun watching it. Mm-hmm. And I was so surprised. Like the overall reviews were a little lower than we expected because we really It was like 47%. It. Yeah. Which yeah. was surprising because it was, it was, it gets into it. No boring monologue in any of that And nonsense. good visuals, good visual effects. Totally. Not, not a lot of annoying characters. No one's annoying. TJ's hilarious. Even just that ripped underwear scene. That's hilarious. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's so no, you're right. Everyone's, pre- everyone's likable. <laughs> yeah. So we, we definitely want to hear what you guys have to say, not just mm-hmm. about the film, but the idea of the creatures and their, their construction. We've talked about humanoid figures, like melded with cephalopod, that whole idea. And then this godlike monster. I mean, I just want to hear general thoughts on that mm-hmm. because it's very much like Cthulhu from H.P. Lovecraft blended with almost like a Godzilla kind yep. of figure. Yep. And it's just absolutely bizarre. So hit us up, send us a message. If you don't want to like comment on Facebook or on social media into the portal mailbox at gmail.com. We love getting uh, emails from you guys. And if you do enjoy the show, take a second, leave us a review. Uh, you don't have to do a written one. You can just click the stars mm-hmm. on Apple podcast. It really, really helps us out. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate it. Yep. And then of course, last but not least, do not forget to check out uh, our network straight up strange.com. We've relaunched the strange times and a bunch yeah. of other cool stuff too. Strange times. So if you go to straight up strange.com, you can find all of the shows in our network. You can also find a new special project from Straight Up Enigmas. She's doing a fictionalized ghost story. So it's going to be like a serial on her show, which is really cool. So That's if you awesome. want some good storytelling with some spooks and scares along the way, I would definitely recommend that one. Absolutely. And we do have... What else do we have going on up there? Yeah, Strange Times. We've got some really cool... Uh, not Ask a Witch. Ask a Witch we're still working on. We're going to be releasing that. So if you have any questions related to witchcraft, sorcery, anything like that, yeah. you can email witchypage at gmail.com and our experts in the field will get back to you on that. All of their, yeah, they've got occult knowledge and many, many uh, mm-hmm. questions they'd love to answer. And so. if you're curious about that type of subject, I would just check out their podcast, Spellcast. Absolutely. Obviously part of the Strange, Strange Network. So definitely. Really cool. Courtney and Andreal, they're amazing. Our, they're awesome. The whole network's awesome. So hop over and check it out. La- the only other thing I'll mention is that we still do have our uh, free shipping promo for all of the Be Strange stuff we have up oh, there. Yeah. So promo code Strange Ship. And we've uh, released a couple of new items on there as well mm-hmm. that are really cool, part of the yeah. Necropolis series. So all of that goes to help support us in the network. So check it out. And uh, until next time on Into the Portal. Your gateway to the bazaar.
This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.